Welcome, everyone. Man, we gave Zach and Trishna a hard scripture to read, didn't we? <laughs> when those names were coming up, I was feeling for Zach, you know? Great job. Hey, welcome, everyone. Welcome here in Bethel, in New Milford, in Waterbury, and in Derby, and online. So good to be together. Isn't it great to have Crystal back, too? Oh, man, so good to see Crystal on stage. For lots of reasons, we're so happy to see, see you, Crystal, and one of those reasons is we need the extra help around here, so, so glad you're back. Uh, this passage today is kind of the jumping off point on a, on a conversation together about compassion, about comfort, about what it looks like to be a church that offers and receives compassion. You know, last week and the week before, if you remember, we, two weeks ago we had Clive here, and last week, Adam, we had two Sundays in a row, we were really talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, what it meant to, to know the Spirit's indwelling, empowering us, working through us, changing and transforming us, enabling us then to have impact wherever we go. That was our focus, and you might ask, well, what is it, why is this the natural progression, to talk about a church arising in compassion? I think it is a really natural progression because so often we see that when the Holy Spirit indwells and works and moves through us, it leads us into compassion, doesn't it? It leads us into caring for others. Why? Because that is an entirely other-centered thing to do, isn't it? To be compassionate towards someone else. And we know ourselves. We are not other-centered all the time. We often are very self-centered. But when the Holy Spirit comes and rules and reigns, that other-centeredness is enabled, is empowered. And so it's actually very natural to think about compassion flowing out of the life of the Spirit in us, being Spirit-filled Christian believers. Scripture in John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's this love for one another, this compassion for one another that's supposed to be a marker of who we are as Christ followers. Just a little story to hopefully... uh, give you a bit of sense of what I mean by this. It was uh, back in 2001. Can you remember back to 2001? I don't even really remember what was going on in 2001, except that I knew I was early in ministry here at Walnut Hill, and I was a middle school youth pastor. And I was taking my second trip where I was the leader with a group of other adults. Um, I was, I think, 23 or 4 at the time, and I was taking a bunch of middle school kids to Chicago, no, I'm sorry, to Detroit, to lead a missions trip to Detroit in 2001. I want to tell you, when I arrived in Detroit, I had never been there before, 20 years ago, when you walked in downtown Detroit, you wondered if you were in downtown Beirut. I mean, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. They were tearing down buildings everywhere. It was a mess. And I thought, what have I brought these kids to? And it was was a kind of a depressed city. Now, I, I was just there last week, uh, visiting Brian and Becca Mowry, my brother and sister-in-law and their girls. They're doing well, by the way. They, they wanted me to express my greeting to you. And actually, you'll get to do that personally because they will be with us here next weekend. This is the benefit of them being Mowrys, you know? See, they, get, they, they come visit family. And Brian's actually going to preach and, and share us, with us a Thanksgiving sermon next Sunday. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to that um, because we need some extra help around here. So <laughs> it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. But I'll tell you, uh, Detroit today, compared to Detroit 20 years ago, is a massive difference. It's really changed dramatically. Um, I give a lot of credit to whoever's in charge over there. They did, they've done some good things. But I brought my kids into 20 years ago, 2001 Detroit. And 
you know, I want to tell you, our kids did great on that trip. They really did. It was one of those trips where it almost felt flawless. We had an incredible speaker. Some of you remember Jared Jones. Actually, Jared was, became a great friend of ours and came and interned with us after that experience from the time we met him there in a previous missions trip. So there's, it was like really, very special, very special gathering. These are all eighth grade kids, 13-year-olds, and they carried themselves like young adults. I was really proud of them. It was a wonderful time. They, they worked really hard, too. They served wholeheartedly. There was so much work to be done, so many children to minister, so many projects we could have done. You know, it was only a week, but I felt like, wow, these kids have done well. And then at the end of the trip, we, we always try to take the kids to do something fun, so we went to Cedar Point. Ever, anyone ever been to Cedar Point? If you, wanna, if you like roller coasters, that's a place to go. And we went there, and again... This is like a recipe for disaster with a bunch of 13-year-olds to send them to an amusement park and say, hey, go have some fun, especially when you're an exhausted adult at the end of a trip. But they did wonderfully, no problems, no issues. So we settled down that night in the, ho- in that, you know, the last night of the trip in a hotel. It wasn't a real nice hotel. It was uh, you know, the kind that had all the rooms around a, you know, a, a pool that was kind of clean, semi-clean. And, uh, you know, so at the end of the day, it had been a long day at amusement park, so we just said, we gave the kids a curfew, and I want to tell you, I went in my room and I fell asleep, fast asleep. That's kind of a hallmark of, my, of me, actually, if you want to know. <laughs> can fall asleep pretty fast almost anywhere. I was exhausted, I was done. And in the morning, one of our adult leaders came to me before I went down for that delicious, cheap hotel breakfast, and he says, we need to talk in your room. And I said, oh no, what happened during the night while I was sleeping? So he proceeded to tell me that a few of our kids broke the curfew. They found some other teenagers from some other groups that happened to be there. And they had a late night swim in the pool, which was, again, in the center of the complex. I mean, real smart, right? They'd done so well to this point. And here we were. And, he, and so the leader said, what do you want me to do? I said, well, bring them, bring them to my room, bring them to me. Now, I had a moment here to decide what I was going to do. I mean, I was ticked, I have to admit. I was frustrated. Um, I was exhausted, so probably not in my best place. But I remember talking to that leader, and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to go easy on them, but I'm going to make them feel a little pain, okay? So I I wish I could have watched them squirm their way towards my room. (laughs) You know, we, we have these little funny fantasies in our minds as youth pastors sometimes to see how nervous they were. But I saw as they came through the room, they were nervous, and I, and I wanted them to feel a little bit of the concern that they should have for doing this, you know, breaking this rule. So I asked them, you know, what do you think your punishment should be? It was an eerie silence. It was a really eerie silence. And then I said, well, what have we been learning all week? And I think that they thought it was a trick question because, again, eerie silence. Well, we had been singing this song the entire week. Isn't it just like the Lord to have us do this? Out of Psalm 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And so I said to them, I'm disappointed. And I want to tell you, those are the toughest words to hear, right? When you hear from your parents or you hear from someone you, you, you love and, 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 and uh, respect, you, when they say you're disappointed, it's about the worst thing you can hear. I knew it was going to hit them hard. And I wanted him to feel that, but then I said, today, not only is the Lord gracious and compassionate, but Craig is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And I don't think that that was blasphemy, because actually we're supposed to embody (laughs) our Lord in those situations. And I gave him him a lot of mercy in that moment. 
Um, the, New, the New Living Translation reads that same passage a little bit differently. It says, the Lord is merciful and compassionate. And I want to tell you, the kids knew they didn't get what they deserved that day. That was mercy. There should have been more of a punishment. But they walked away knowing that they had really been shown mercy. And that was what I'd hoped they would feel. They knew it. Similarly, our ability to offer mercy and compassion, it's got to come from this reality that our Lord God withholds the punishment that we deserve. It starts there. Do you remember a few weeks back we talked about um, humility? It starts in this place of our knowledge of the mercy we've received. And we need to be reminded of it all the time because we can sometimes get on our high horse and think that we're the ones who, who distribute grace and mercy, but ultimately we're the ones who receive it first before we can ever distribute it. 1 Peter 4.8 says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a, multiple, multiple, a multitude of sins. And this leads us well into this story we've just read today. Now, you might have picked up on a little sarcasm in Trishna's voice uh, about, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't be doing a food program, but I want to tell you, <laughs> I, should have, I should have helped her in the beginning to say, actually, there's not supposed to be sarcasm in that point, but I actually liked it the way she did it. It was beautiful. I'm not going to say anything for the next service because it was so good. But I want to tell you, first century reading of this doesn't, doesn't read in sarcasm to what they're saying. It, it's not a sarcastic statement that this kind of work is for these people and this kind of work, and, and preaching the word is for these people. I want to tell you, I've probably read this wrong for a long time. But if you read it that way, you can easily make a hierarchy of the kind of service that we do. And there's no hierarchy here. In fact, listen, listen to who they appoint. Stephen and a bunch of other incredible leaders who are what? Filled with the Spirit and also very practically minded. That sounds like a regular disciple or apostle of the Lord, right? These are incredible leaders who have not only the spirit-filled life, but also they have some practicality where they can administer something. So they actually have an added-on gift here, I think, that, that is identified and used. Isn't that interesting? It reminds me of some of the things that I see around here on a weekly basis at Walnut Hill. You see it when people go out to Acts 4 ministry in Waterbury and serve, bringing the most needy in that community the basic needs that they, ha they have, like furniture, beds, simple things to get them through and get them moving forward. We see it in our food pantries here in Bethel and in Derby where people get fed. People get the basic needs and they get the dignity of being treated with love and respect as they come. You know, that leads to something, friends. I've seen it lead to incredible stories. Even very recently, I heard the story of a family who were so touched by the way they were treated coming through the, the line that they ended up, dragging, one of them dragged the others into church and they become regular parts of Walnut Hill. And they're finding Jesus, they're meeting Jesus, they're growing in him, it's like so exciting. That's just one story of many. That's, that's what happens when the Spirit invades these practical ways of showing compassion and comfort. And we see it start to transform. It's the kindness of the Lord and his people that leads people to repentance. That's what scripture tells us. Romans 2, 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Isn't that true? Maybe you think, think about your own story 
Wasn't it the kindness of those who show love and compassion to you and then demonstrated Jesus through that that was part of your journey? I would say for every one of you, you'd be able to say, yes, that was part of the journey for me. We're not just putting food in the backs of trunks in that food pantry, or we're not just you know, caring for the basic needs of those in the, the home next door to us here, or bringing something uh, of, of, that's really necessary for someone in our community, just a, a basic need. It's not just a basic need. It's really showing the love of Jesus, and I want to show it to you in a couple of ways. I think we see this powerfully in a particular passage of Scripture, and I want to ask us if we'll read it together today. It's going to come up on our screen. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Let's read this together. All praise to God, the Father of our... Wait a minute, wait a minute. That was a very slow start. Let's try that again. A little gusto here, okay? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Thank you. What is comfort? What is it? Well, if you break down the word, it's to walk alongside someone, to walk with a person. That's what comfort is. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, it's one of those privileges that I get to do with many of you. We call these, you know, often we call them these undesired privileges, the things that you step into that no one could have ever prepared you for, but you find afterwards was an incredible privilege to be a part of. Let me me give you a few examples. I've stood with some of you at the bedside in the hospital praying with you and for those that you're saying goodbye to. This is very hard. It's, It's a moment where compassion and comfort is needed. And I want to tell you, when I signed up for this, in 1999 at Walnut Hill, I didn't think of these things. And I wouldn't have necessarily thought that they would be so filled with privilege to be able to do this with you. I've sat with you as you go through the pain of abandonment by the ones that you always thought would be there for you. I've had those heart-wrenching conversations with you as your children make decisions that you know are destructive in their lives. That passage that we just read, both directly and indirectly, suffering is referred to 17 times in five verses. There's this sense of solidarity that we're going to look at in a moment. And whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, social pain, rejection, or any kinds of troubles, pressures that you might have, we all need comfort and compassion at one time or another in our lives, don't we? Does everyone agree with that? (laughs) I know I agree with that. I know I need that. I know we all need that at different times, sometimes more than others. And even as we step into a holiday season, and so often I think as we watch the TV or we're in the store where everything looks so beautiful and festive, we, we think this is supposed to be a joyful time. It's supposed to be. And yet 
I know many of you are, are struggling right now with pain, with loss. Someone is no longer with you this season that was with you last season or a few seasons ago. You might be estranged from a family member right now and it's painful and it gets heightened because of this season. Some of you are under great family pressure. You might be not as excited about everyone coming home for the holidays right now because you know what that means. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. You might be under financial or relational or emotional pressure. We can all relate to these things. And even at a time when there's this pressure to feel like things are supposed to be great, it's not necessarily the case. We all need comfort. But I want to I want to shift now to show you that it's not a hopeless situation for us. It's the opposite of that because we know the source of all comfort. It's right here in these scriptures. Even though we are faced with the problem of suffering in our lives, we know and can know even deeper the source of all comfort. There is this problem of suffering, and I want to just briefly address it. We ask these questions about the sovereignty of God. If he is all-powerful, then why did he do this, whatever it might be that you're dealing with? Or why did he allow it to happen? We know he had the power to change it because he's all-powerful, but why? We ask these questions. We, we, we say to ourselves, how can a God that we believe is loving allow so much terror and, and challenge and trouble happen to those that he loves? These are the questions we ask, don't we? We all do when things get difficult. Now, we know some of the answers, and I'm, I'm going to share them with us, but I think we're going to come to what's more important in a second. We live in a broken and fallen world, don't we? We know this every day. We, we know it as we think of ourselves, and we know it as we look at our world. It doesn't take more than a moment to know that we live in this broken and fallen world. And free will has its pluses and minuses, doesn't it? If we want to have a real loving relationship with Jesus, it means that pain and suffering is temporarily part of our lot. It just is. But I think we might be asking the wrong questions when it comes to pain and suffering, when it comes to the problem of suffering in our lives. When troubles come, we so often want to ask those why questions. And they are not easily answered. Why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you change this situation? These are near, near to impossible answers, uh, uh, questions to answer. But the where questions are easy to answer. And really, the where question is so easy to answer. Where is God in my suffering? Where is he? Close. Very close. He is very close to you in your suffering in your challenges. He doesn't promise to remove the troubles, but he does promise to be very close to us when they come. Isn't that good news? I mean, you've been through, I look in the faces of some of you right now, and I know you well, and you've been through really difficult things. And on the other side of it, even if in the midst of it you've, you've wondered, on the other side of it, when I speak to you now, you look back and you say, he was there, he was always there. He was always close. In one sense, it was as if he, he was closer, if that were possible. It was as if he were closer in those most difficult times. And it's true. I can testify to it in my own life and in so many of your lives because I've stood with you. I've walked with you through these seasons. We have the father of compassion in our lives. 
the Abba. He is our good, good Father. And compassion is one of his strong character traits. And compassion means to dwell with. And ultimately, we see that the greatest mercy and compassion is seen in Jesus coming to dwell with us. And even in the Old Testament times, why do you think the Israelites knew that God was with them? Because he was right there in the tabernacle. They saw with their eyes what God was doing. And we, we get to see, as we read Scripture and as we get to know Jesus, that he is with us. He has come to dwell with us because he is compassion. He embodies compassion. We are loved by our Father. And we know it because he came to dwell with us. He's the source of all comfort as well. And we can go back to Isaiah again in verse 66, or chapter 66, 13, and it says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted. This loving, motherly tenderness is completely contrary to the, the Greek view of that day when this was written. And it's completely contrary to, the, to our view today as well. When you talk to people of other faiths and you explain to them this loving God who actually knows us and is knowable by us, completely different. Completely different from what you're going to find in other faiths. The Greek gods, they weren't like Yahweh. They were indifferent to human pain. They had no knowable qualities and they exerted no influence on the world. But our God is both knowable and he is very intimately active in his creation, which means he is intimately active in your life. That's the truth. He is the source of all comfort. Then in, we see in 1 Corinthians 2 that we just read, Paul's assurance is not something that he musters up from within. You know, if I just kind of bolster this into my life, I'm going to feel okay. No, this isn't a feeling of relief or of psychological support to himself. He's talking about this present state of, of peace that he's experiencing because he has confidence in what God has done in the past that he will do it again, that he will continue to be the God of compassion, the God of comfort, the source of all these things. See, the past, his past experience plus that promise of future deliverance, that equals his present comfort. Does that make sense? Our past experience, plus the promise of our future deliverance, which ultimately is where? In glory, in heaven. That is what equals our present comfort. That's a great equation, I think. That is an equation to live by. It allows us to share in the words of the psalmist from Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. Well, God the Father, he's the source, but who's the channel? Who's the channel of this comfort? You know, it's Jesus, right? It's Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit who's been given by Jesus, the Spirit of Christ that's been given to us. Now, there are some things that we can all relate to, right? If we were to have a conversation, if I were to have a conversation with any of you privately and I were to bring up a couple of these topics, I have a feeling you'd be able to relate to them. So let's talk about a couple. The DMV. <laughs> you show up for a scheduled appointment, scheduled, you've done it scheduled, you know, ahead of time, for anything at the DMV, and you can see it in the workers' faces. They're annoyed you even came. <laughs> then, as you find your seat, 
between 30 minutes and three hours later, your number is called. And heaven forbid, if it takes you 30 seconds to gather your stuff and find one of the 82 windows that they've specifically asked you to go to. Heaven forbid. And then when you arrive there, eye contact? A smile? A greeting of any sort? The DMV really makes the TSA feel like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Doesn't it? What I'm trying to say to you is that the DMV is, it's not their pleasure to serve you. And we've all experienced it. Haven't we? How about Route 84 between Southington and the New York border? In this section of road, have you ever passed through it and not sat in traffic? Because during the day, there's too many cars on it. It was never designed for that many cars. And at night, there's going to be some form of construction somewhere. Whether it's that S hook between exit 8 and 2, or the endless bridge work over Lake Zor that I don't think will ever end. Or how about the mix master in Waterbury? My favorite place to be. First of all, you call it the mix master. It's cruel to call it the mix master because what it does is it, all it does is just warn you what you're going to feel like when you're done getting through it. It is so potholed and bumpy. And if you see an actual sign that says bump, you better hope. You better hope that your exhaust system is securely fastened to the bottom of your vehicle. There are tailpipes littered all over that section of highway. I'm here to report to you today that the work on the Mixmaster is not going quickly. And the Maoris have discovered why, so I thought I'd tell you. Most nights we come home from some sporting activity, soccer or hockey, going from the east to the west into Waterbury. And we live on the, the west side, exit 18. And, and when you get to that mix master, all you want to do is get that one last mile to your exit. And, you know, I come praying, hoping that I'm gonna be able to get through that space. But it's, it, it doesn't usually happen. And here's what we found. Here's what we found. It's not because they lack workers. No, I, I counted. One, two, three, four, 18. 18 <laughs> workers. It's because they only ever have one working at a time. There are seven people in orange vests having stimulating conversation, and one has a push broom in his hands cleaning up after them. It doesn't seem efficient to me. But we've all experienced it, haven't we? Now, even if you haven't experienced those exact things, there are things in our lives we have all experienced together. And some of the things that we have all experienced are trouble, challenges in our lives, suffering. We've all experienced some form of these types of things. There's, there's a universal experience of trouble and suffering. And, and it creates a solidarity between us and between us and our Lord Jesus. See, our Lord Jesus has experienced it all. He didn't sit in traffic on Route 84, but he experienced the same emotions that come from that kind of experience. He knows what we've experienced. And he's the channel of that source who is his father, Abba Father, and our father. And as we share in Christ's sufferings, some of those sufferings can be persecutions because we are following Jesus, and others can be other things that we go through. His, his comfort 
flows. Think of it as flowing over from him to us. Think of it as you know, healthy spring water flowing from Jesus to us. That was the image for me today, uh, this week, flowing into us from him. From the Father through Jesus, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 on the screen says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going to, you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Now, some of Christ's sufferings was replicated in Paul's life, and he's talking about that as he comes to that passage we read earlier. And most of us won't likely experience exactly the kinds of sufferings that Jesus or Paul experienced, but we too have troubles in our lives, and we suffer. And in those times, what this scripture is telling us is there is an opportunity, an opportunity to draw closer to Jesus because we will identify with him, we'll have solidarity with Jesus because of the sufferings he went through for us. I can't explain exactly how that works, but I know it does. The Lord does it through his spirit. He does it when we are willing to lean in and allow him to do it in our lives and not fight it, but actually try to embrace what he's trying to do in us, in our hearts and lives. But there's also hope in this because the scripture reminds us that if we are gonna identify with him in his sufferings, we can also look forward to identifying with him in his resurrection. Because he didn't suffer in vain, did he? No, no, he suffered for a purpose that we might have that hope and a future, that we might know forgiveness, that we might be cleansed afresh, completely transformed. The old is gone, the new has come. And we've got glory to look forward to. So we may, yes, we may, we will, in fact, have to identify with some of his sufferings, but not for, not, for a, not for nothing, for the sake of solidarity, solidarity with Jesus, also for the sake of our interaction with others, but ultimately for the sake of being with him in eternity. So how does it work then in us? There's a sense that we receive from the Lord both his sufferings and his comfort, and we're meant to pass it on. We receive that we're meant to, and we're meant to pass it on. Now, again, how about this imagery of the water flowing again? Let's go back to that. The water flows from the Father through Christ into us, and then we're meant to overflow that to others. And we become, we become that channel of that flow of comfort and compassion. Does that image work for you? It works for me. It's, it's, it helps me to understand what's happening in these moments. It helps me even to identify why I might have to go through certain things, why you might have to go through certain things, because it enables us then to be that channel of the flow of comfort and compassion, and it enables us to see the impact of what that does in our Christian communities, in our church families, but also to those who are, who are meeting us on the, on the streets, meeting us in different places. They're seeing something flowing out of us. So what do we do with it? We, a couple of practical things. Number one, we learn to be listeners. So often when I speak to you about you, you having to step into you know, providing comfort to someone else, you say, I don't know what I'm going to say. You sound like Moses. 
And I understand that because I think it too sometimes. I don't know what I'm going to say. I want to tell you it doesn't matter what you're going to say. In fact, you say less and be more in the presence of a person. I mean, you can go and sit with somebody who needs to be comforted and say nothing, and they will always remember you came, and it will be meaningful to them. It's a beautiful thing to do that. So I want to, I want to help you to take away that concern. In fact, if you find yourself talking too much, you're probably going the wrong direction. It's about actually just being together, sharing in the burden together, so, and, and being a good listener. So healing, isn't it, to be able to share the story, share what's going on, share the challenge that you're experiencing with someone who's willing to actually listen and not give advice and not try to constantly one-up you in that situation, but just wants to listen in love. Secondly, be encouragers. Man, what an opportunity in these moments to practice the prophetic, to say, Lord, what do you want to say to this person? And Lord, would you use me? And those are usually, the, those are the right words. They're often so simple. They're also often in prayer. They, they might be actual words to somebody, but they might just be prayer over someone where the Lord gives you just the right prayer or words or scripture that's gonna help that person, bring comfort to them. But the order is important. First, I'm a listener, I'm present, and then, Lord, what would you have me to impart that might be helpful in this moment? And then, just the word comfort is, remember what it means. Just come alongside. Walk with those who are going through difficult things. I always, I, not always, but often when I'm in a situation where something is difficult is really happening, I'm with people who are maybe losing a loved one too early or someone um, has, felt, has experienced some sort of an abandonment or they're dealing with some abuse that they've experienced. I, I go back to this passage. It's gonna come on your screen. Daniel 3, 16 to 18. I'll invite the worship team to come back up now. This is a, you might think this is funny at first, but we, did, we actually preached on this this summer. Listen to the words and think about the moment when someone needs comfort or you need comfort. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. When we come alongside each other and enable us to be strong like that. I mean, this isn't just Shadrach. It's not just Meshach. It's not just Abednego. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are walking in solidarity into an incredibly difficult situation, and they're able to say, our God is able, but we know that he doesn't always do what we want him to do. So even if he decides to do something different, we are standing together. We are standing together in the name of Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom. Nothing will, will, will stop that. And I want to tell you that's a hard thing to do by yourself. It's a whole other thing to do it together. It's a whole other experience when, we've, when we're offering that comfort and compassion to one another. And it leads back to this Acts passage that we read earlier. Listen to the last verse, verse 7. 
So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Because of a food program, friends, because of a food program, this happened. It's not second class at all, is it? No, no. It was because people were released to do the things that God had asked them to do. And people were attracted to this community because of this, this incredible compassion ministry that they were showing out there into their communities. It was incredible, friends. It's such an important part of our life in the Spirit. It's such an important part of us arising and shining and allowing, really, the Spirit to shine through us. You know, the, another word for comforter is advocate, and it's a name for the Holy Spirit. None of this is possible apart from the Spirit working and moving through us. It helps us and enables us, the Holy Spirit does, to become that channel of comfort. He's the source in and through us. That water pours into us and over, can overflow us. And it doesn't mean that you have to be, by the way, overflowing with goodness every single day. Because I want to tell you, there's times when I get up here or I go to do something, I say, oh, Lord, in my weakness, be strong. I got nothing. And he still somehow can pour that out, pour that, what I don't have, but what he can do in and through me by his spirit, out. And I want to encourage us, friends, to be that kind of church. That's the kind of church we want to be. I think we are, but we can, we can be that kind of church even more. We want this to happen, don't we? Man, we want to see the number increase. We want to see the most unlikely come to Jesus. We want to see his kingdom coming his will being done. Amen.